welcome to another episode of the Negative Positives Podcast. And now, coming to you live out of the Gutter Man Cave in beautiful Louisville, Kentucky. He likes his bourbon almost as much as he likes his Pentax. It's your host, Mike Gutterman. Hello and welcome to the Negative Positives Podcast, episode number 275. I am your host, Mike Gutterman, coming to you from the Gutterman Cave and trying to become fall, Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, So this is kind of a special episode. Uh, I actually recorded this Monday night before the main episode with Chris Visser. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed that episode. But I had a chance to uh, get Mr. Mike Rosso uh, on the the Skype and uh, talk to him a little bit about the FPP, the 10-year... Uh, 10 years of the Film Photography Project, Film Photography Podcast. And uh, so obviously I'm going to jump at that chance and also talk to him a little bit about movie film, uh, 8mm Super 8, and which I've kind of really kind of uh, really enjoyed uh, with my first uh, attempts at uh, shooting Super 8 on my family vacation uh, this last summer in Florida. And so it was just uh, anytime you get a chance to get Mike Rosso on the podcast, uh, absolutely, you do that, right? You're not going to turn that down. So uh, without further ado, let me get to uh, this little conversation that uh, Mr. Mike Rosso and I had uh, on uh, Monday evening. So uh, uh, to talk a little bit about all things FPP and movie film. So uh, here we go. Let's uh, take a listen to that, uh, that little segment. All right, folks, I'm here with none other than the the one and only, the Mr. Michael Rosso from the the FPP, the Film Photography Project, the Film Photogra- Photography Podcast, kind of the, the godfather of all these film podcasts. And and they just uh, reached a, a milestone. So, uh, well, first of all, how are you doing tonight, Michael? I'm doing terrific. Hi, Mike. Oh, it's uh, it's always great to have you on. You know, we had you on. I guess it's gosh, probably six, seven months ago. You did like a whole grand, like two yeah. hour, two hour bonanza marathon episode with us, which uh, uh was a lot of fun. But it's uh, always nice to to have you on the show. And 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 this is kind of a kind of a momentous milestone you're up on here with ten years of the FPP. So just kind of wanted to get your thoughts about what it's like to kind of look back on ten years. Did, did you think it would go this long? Did you think uh, just where where it's at and does it surprise you where it's at at this point? Well, I'm definitely surprised. By, <laughs> I'm definitely surprised by, you know, film photography overall, because in, in my opinion, I mean, I've been doing this 10 years and for 10 years it's been, you know, just kind of pretty consistent, but mm-hmm. in the last maybe year and a half, two years, I don't know if it's just me, but, but it seems that, shooting on film is just it's just exploding Mm -hmm. and i i think i see it most by the fact that you know at uh photokina in germany the big photo show Mm -hmm. and coming up at the pdn big photo expo at the javits center you know i mean for many years you'd go to these shows and there wouldn't be that much going on film wise i mean there'd be you'd see the film shooters there'd be small groups but now you see you know kind of a collective coming together like a real merger of all the the analog brands coming together to form um somewhat of a consortium i i, I see some real excitement in film photography in just the last year mm. and, and you know, have, before 
and it's almost like there's like whole wings in these little shows uh, de- dedicated to analog a little bit, right? So it's kind of it's very exciting. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 well, you know, I mean, technology is changing, and uh, I mean, here ten years in with the FPP, you know, I, I'm feeling like we're jumping a generation as well. I mean, we're now fielding questions that you know, it's basic, it's it's back to basics in many respects encountering so many people that are shooting film for the very first time mm-hmm. have you noticed like from like just the emails you get are completely because i know like you get like kind of regular emails from like regular listeners and long-time listeners and stuff but are, are you seeing a lot more from people you've never heard of, heard from before kind of contacting you guys now has that kind of been the trend uh yeah we're getting a lot of emails from first-time shooters and first-time home developers you know mm-hmm. people who are film at home and have, you know, basic, basic questions about, you know, chemistry or development times, things like that. I would have to think that you get a little bit overwhelmed with emails. I mean, I bet you, you get a lot of emails, I'm guessing, right? Like, how in the world do you go through them and decide which ones you're actually going to read on, on a show? Because it seems like it would be a tough decision, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, uh, you know, one of the, the, I guess, one of the things going on in year 10 is, me really taking a look at everything and 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 figuring out that how to manage it. Uh, emails, I mean, they come in pretty fast and furious. And I have um, Leslie Lazenby and Matt Mirage and Owen McCafferty uh, handling some email duties. So I'll mm-hmm. I'll forward stuff to them that they could better answer or they're more qualified to answer. Mm-hmm. But, um, I. Th- I I, it's film consumption that is up that is, you know, a, a real challenge to me because more people are shooting film that we offer. And, you know, if it's a brand film like Ilford or Kodak, that's not a problem. That's just inventory. But if it's mm-hmm. it's a homegrown, hand-rolled film, then it's, you know, a little. I need to plan a little bit better because I never anticipate the response being as big as it is. Mm-hmm. And so it's... It's management, really. It's management and um, uh, what's a good word? Um, I don't know. Uh, it, it's just man. Yeah, just managing things uh, and uh, I was going to say dedication, but that's not a good word. I'm already dedicated. <laughs> well, wait, I don't think anybody's going to question your dedication to this. That's for sure. So, but uh, so, what about like I noticed that you and this. I think this is a good sign. But I just kind of wanted to, I was kind of wondering about it. I, I noticed so recently you seem to be selling out of the the C41 uh, home developing kits pretty often. Like uh, a lot of times I go to buy one and it's sold out. You usually get them in pretty quick, but that tells me a lot of people are buying these C41 kits. Are those, those things just flying off the shelves? Is that pretty much what's happening? I uh, Yes, this ties into this phenomenon that's happened within the last six months. And that is, um, I mean, we've been chugging along, um, you know, I manage inventory very well. I always have enough on hand. Uh, and only recently, we cannot keep things in stock. That mm-hmm. goes for 41 kits. That goes for Kodak film. And, you know, we have plenty on, like, I, any given time in the last, you know, 10 years, always massive amounts. Like, always plenty on hand. So, mm-hmm. um, we, well, look, my, you know, as you know, I really care about 
the people who listen to the podcast and visit the store. Like a lot of these people I, I know mostly just from email, but I know all the names. So we're offering the best prices on the planet. So I think that has a lot to do with it. So um, in the case of the C41 kit, all of a sudden, I think it just got super popular. Yeah, yeah. And you, well, you can't beat the price on it. I think it's a, 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 another thing to it. And I think a lot of people, and me personally, like, uh, I mean, your prices are, are are great on the store, so there's really no reason not to uh, to to shop there. But also, uh, I like supporting you guys because uh, I, th- I appreciate what you do for the the film community, and I think a, a big part of this resurgence in film has been helped along uh, by uh, by the FPP. I mean, I have guests on the show all the time that talk about the return to film and. One of the first things that kind of got them really sort of fanatical about it was checking out the FPP. So you guys really jump started a lot of people who kind of dive headfirst back into film or into film for the first time. So I, I personally just like you know supporting the FPP store because you know it does so much in, for the film community beyond just uh, support beyond just keeping you all going as a as a marketing as as selling a, a, a you know a film seller. So yeah. That's, yeah, it's appreciated, and um, I think you know, and I think your listeners know that you know, it's <laughs> we're the like we're the real deal. Like we are so into it, and uh, yeah, after so many years, you know, I'm still into it and still excited about you know new films and new formats, and so um, you know, we keep it real, and as long as we can keep it real, that we'll keep it going. When you started the podcast, did you have any inkling that you would be doing this thing 10 years from when you started it? <laughs> no, no way. Because no, no, at the time, I was doing another podcast uh, called the Alternative Cinema Podcast. And that just, it it trickled out because uh, the whole world of like indie movies on DVD kind of died. Yeah. You know, it kind of it kind of petered out, and I I lost I lost my excitement for it. I lost my interest in it, and it all really rolled into FPP, especially now with the resurgence of you know shooting on on motion picture film. Mm-hmm. So, um, as as long as we can, I always say it: as long as we can keep the energy up, and the people I'm surrounding myself are as excited as I am, and they want to do it, you know then we'll keep doing it. Right. Well, that's awesome. So I, that was kind of, kind of my next question is how, how long do you see, I guess you kind of just answered, but how long, how long do you, if you had to make a prediction, how long would the FPP be around? <laughs> oh, I, I don't know. Re- I don't really know. I think technology will change. I think uh, podcasting will probably, you know, at some point fall out of favor for some new technology. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so I, I don't know. They're, they're, might be a point where I mean we take our our breaks twice a year and they're they're much needed breaks. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm I don't feel I don't feel really bald and chained to the actual podcast in the sense that um, I do it and if I can't do it then I'll take a natural break with it and I'll just tell the audience that and then we'll come back. I mean most most of it kind of happens naturally when we take our winter break and we take our summer break and that you know, gives me time to plan and, and do other things. Um, but I'm, I'm not, I'm not worried about it and I'm not overthinking it and I'm not thinking that far ahead. I, mm-hmm. I think the current trend is going to last the next few years. And then, you know, if it dies out, 
the the diehards will stick. So, you know, people are always worried about emotions going away or what if this company goes out of business or what if that company goes out of business? And I don't I don't worry about that because there's always gonna be a guy like Lomig at Filmwashi who's mm-hmm. his own emulsion or you know making his own plate or making something that can be shot with you know in the analog world. So I don't get worried about brands or this going away or that going away. I just kind of use the tools that are available. Major, if a major player goes away, I mean, case in point is the FP100C, you know, the the crack and peel Polaroid film. Yeah, I mean, I'm as sad as the next guy with that. I, I used to shoot a ton of that. I, I, it's a wonderful format, but I'm, you know, I'm just moving on to a different format and, and using what's readily available at a reasonable price. Right, right. I think there's been a lot of, we had some, some speculation on, on this podcast. Uh, uh, I think it was uh, probably a couple months ago and there was kind of some talk in the film community about, uh, you know, Kodak, some yeah, people kind of, some people that know way more about financial stuff than I do, you know, kind of watch like, uh, Kodak's financials and it kind of looks like the company still on the whole is really kind of struggling a whole lot. And there's, it kind of, makes people uneasy a little bit like is Kodak still gonna be around if they was to fail how would it you know it would it cause sort of a snowball effect in the rest of the uh, film industry or whatever uh but do you see that as a problem or do you think uh that you know we'll survive uh a, a, a maybe a, a world without Kodak or or one of the major players or a world without Fuji uh in film uh you're you're thinking that there's always gonna be somebody step up to the plate is that kind of your thought on that well, if Kodak goes, then you're going to see me walking around town with a black band around my arm. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> uh, there's always a lot of balls in the air at the same time. There's always a lot of things going on at the same time that, you know, I ignore most chatter on Internet threads, especially I see a lot of chatter about like, you know, because like I think Walgreens is selling out their Kodak Gold people. Mm-hmm. Oh, that goal going away? Well, no, it's not going away at all. It's just that this particular company is phasing it out. That doesn't mean gold is going away. Right, right. Yeah. So Eastman Kodak is is the film manufacturer is Eastman Kodak in Rochester, and they make all the film. And they're making the movie film, which they sell direct to Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And uh, Kodak Laris is the sales arm of Kodak, selling the professional still films. Um, so I think it's a delicate balance. I don't know for sure, but business is tough. All Things are tough all over, and it cannot be easy to juggle all of that. But these companies are operating, like so many other companies, are operating much leaner than they did in, you know, the glory days of the 80s. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it seems like, uh, and like I think Kodak did make real efforts with the the uh, Ektachrome thing to kind of you know make sure that that was going to be a, a product that they could, you know, make in the, in the amount of quantity that they thought they would, the market would would sustain. You know, it, it seemed like they did kind of. Uh, there was talk about how they streamlined that process a little bit so they wouldn't have to make quite so much of it, so they could just meet the amount of demand they they anticipated. So it does seem like they've, you know, gotten a little more streamlined and a little little leaner and meaner possibly. So that's that's a that's a good sign, I guess. But um, but yeah, the kind of the other thing uh, that you, you've been really big on on this and kind of really helped me get into it, um, the uh, the movie film, and uh, we all know you've been a, a champion of that for quite some time. And uh, I got to thank you a lot because uh, you, you kind of uh, 
helped me with a, a camera and and uh, and and kind of kind of taught me the ropes a little bit about what I needed to do with uh, shooting Super 8. And uh, you know, I got my uh, my reels back from from the FPP. Uh, I guess it's about a week or two ago, and I absolutely love it. My family loves it, so I'm really looking forward to like adding some music to it and kind of you know getting a final product out of it. But uh, uh, but it was just a real blast to shoot. So tell me about uh, movie film, where it's at, and uh, what you're seeing with that. And also a little bit, you've kind of got, well, we'll get into a little bit, but this regular eight thing that you're kind of uh, getting into now. But uh, just start off kind of general about wh- where your thoughts are on movie film and what you're seeing out of uh, the market on that. Well, it's very full circle for me because uh, I went to school and John Fidelli and I went to school to make movies. That's That's what we did. So when I was a young guy, in my 20s, like I would get up every day and there's nothing more important than, you know, finishing my, my filmmaking project. I mean, <laughs> it's all about making movies, you know, and, you know, that took me through to actually, you know, producing movies, all of them bad, by the way. And, <laughs> and um, well, I'm bad, bad in a good way, right? I'm, I'm guessing. <laughs> always been a real real passion so uh in the last year um i decided to bring in dave northrup he's a professional what's known as a colorist he's the guy who did the color on your film so and that it's a whole other topic that could be talked about because it's fascinating and that is scanning because we all scan most of it are, are still film and I think there's a misconception about scanning that when you put your film in the scanner and you scan your frames, that the color is supposed to just pop and be the way it's supposed to be. And it just doesn't work that way. Some films they do. You know, you may put your portrait in your scanner and they may come out pretty good. But for the most all all film from a negative needs to be colored. And, you know, for motion picture colorist, it's a real craft. So um, I brought Dave in, and I invested in a motion picture scanner. And this is a scanner that can do HD, 2K, or 4K. And these are just all the same, except the files get bigger. Yeah. Um, And that really got me thinking, because the FPP already carried motion picture film. We, We already carried Super 8. We already carried 16 millimeter. And when the scanner was readily available, it kind of jump-started me personally into, you know, starting to test movie film. Mm-hmm. And it got me thinking about how amazing the format is and how valuable it is. Because all of us, I mean, even us film shooters are shooting, you know, little movies on our phones and taking out our phone and shooting a clip. But to me... I think that I think that most of that is lost. You know, I, I can't I, I don't know one person I know that is managing their their clips on their phone or when their phone breaks and they get another one. I think there's a lot of lost footage. Yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. You know, compared to the 70s and 80s when you brought your film to Photomat and you got your film and your negatives in the pouch and then you put those away and you put them in a box someplace safe. And ditto for movie film. You got your little three-minute reel of Super 8 film back, and you kept it. And, you know, 
they were keepsakes and they meant something, especially movie film, because as you discovered, movie film is shot super eight in a cartridge that's three minutes long. Mm-hmm. You know, people can think, oh, well, you know, shit, what's that? <laughs> what's three <laughs> But three minutes can go a long way. It really can. It really can. And honestly, like what I liked about it is I brought two cartridges for a week long trip and uh, and pretty much shot, you know, so that's basically six minutes of footage. And but in that six minutes, I mean, I really by by being careful and thoughtful about what I was shooting, I really think that I captured the vibe of what we really wanted to remember out of that vacation trip. And I didn't need, you know, two hours of footage. Uh, to to you know, kind of capture you know our what we need what we needed or wanted to remember out of that trip, you know. And but six minutes was just perfect for it. So yeah, it's uh, you really don't need as much video as you think you do, right? <laughs> and and film, whether you're shooting stills or shooting you know Super Eight or any format of movie film, I mean it'll if you take care of it, it'll last a generation. It's gonna far outlive any of this digital stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's. The digital is uncharted, and quite frankly, I think that a generation of images are going to be lost by families because people, it's just a little more complicated to manage, and certainly there are people who are doing the proper backup and moving files and keeping things nice, but I know that, you know, all of the film that I've shot in the last 10 years, whether it's movie film or still film, I mean... I have it all nice and neat in a box. I know exactly where it is. And sure, we all worry about computer crashes, but I'm not that worried because right. I have my – and I think that's important. I agree. I agree. Uh, one th- one kind of thing that I was thinking about when I got my movie filmed back from you guys um, and I was, I was watching it and I thought, you know – Back in the 90s, uh, we would go on these family vacations or or back then it was like college trips with my friends and we'd bring this big old camcorder and we would use it a lot, you know, and because it was like, oh, yeah, let's bring out the camcorder. And uh, of course, the problem there was you had like these two hour long tapes, so you tended to overshoot way too much. And so your your videos tended to be uh, quite boring, actually, for the most part. But uh, but also and I was talking to my wife uh, a couple of years ago, we were down in Florida. It was before, you know, this, this last year is the first time I shot Super 8 or any kind of movie film. And I was like, you know, why don't we shoot videos on our phones? We have these perfectly capable uh, phones that are capable of, you know, capturing videos. We, but we never, ever do it. We basically have a camcorder in our pocket now, and we never pull them out and, and shoot videos. But uh, something about bringing that Super 8 camera down there made me, like, pull it out and, and shoot video, which I could have easily done on my phone. But it just didn't seem I don't I don't know why, but it just it doesn't appeal to me to like use my phone for video. It doesn't even I don't even doesn't really cross my mind. But something about having this cool old vintage movie camera uh and, and just doing something very kind of hands-on like that and just the just the kind of the I don't know, just the the feel of the camera in your hands, it just it did motivate me like to take video and we we've been to this the same beach town for you know a, over a decade and don't hardly have any videos until this year when i bring this movie uh, camera down there do you, what do you think there's something about shooting film and movies or is it just me like is this just a phenomenon that's 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 weird to me or or, or do you kind of see that vibe out of other people i think it's this, i think it's the same vibe as bringing like your nikon f or your canon a1 on vacation mm-hmm. i i really think it's 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 a, it's it is it's a whole different vibe and it's a whole different feel and um 
I, I agree 100%. I never shoot on my cell phone. Yeah. Ever. Yeah. Yeah. It's 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 a whole different thing. It really it really is. And you know, sure, uh, you know, I said a heck of a lot more people are shooting film than ever before, but you know, still not you know, when you when you're out and about, not a whole lot of people are doing that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I did get some weird looks uh, <laughs> when, when I was out on the beach uh, shooting some of this footage, like because uh, you know the camera kind of looks like a like a Star Trek phaser gun or something like that. But uh, <laughs> but you know it's uh, did get I did get some looks, but uh, uh, but it's very very a whole lot of fun. Uh, I did want to kind of backtrack because you were talking about uh, your colorist. Um, what was his name again? Dave. Okay. Uh, when I got an email from you that uh, the uh, the Super Eight was being shipped back to me, you actually included some notes from the colorist. Is that something you do all the time? Because I thought it was very interesting. He kind of told me some, uh, just kind of his notes on 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 my film, which I thought was very very cool, very personal touch. Is that something that is co- is common, or did you just include that for my benefit? <laughs> I, I, we do it with every roll of film, movie film that we we handle, and. Um, you know, getting back into movie film for me, uh, it's a different world. You know, years ago there were labs all over the place, and these days there are not not many labs. We have lab partners. We're not a lab at the FPP, although we will handle the processing end of it. Meaning, I, I will manage that mm-hmm. be, because it's just so much easier for for the your your movie shooter. It's as simple as that. Right, Ranking and managing labs is a real has been a bear for me, um, in the sense that um, I don't find communications to be that great between. Okay. I mean, if I'm sending a film to a lab on behalf of an FPP customer, I'm the customer to that lab. Okay, yeah, I am not wowed by the service in any way, shape, or form. I find it a struggle. And every day I wake up saying, you know what? I'm going to look into starting my own friggin' lab. <laughs> Let's is, put it is, that, is that some fore- foreshadowing there? I don't know. <laughs> There's no the dark room or old school film lab or Dwayne's. Like these, the labs we have for still film, these labs are great. Mm-hmm. And they go out of their way to, to, you know, really help the customer. I don't find it. Uh, friendly at all dealing with motion picture labs. So um, my goal with the FPP in, in helping someone shooting movie film is to make it as enjoyable as possible to, to really uh, allow people to enjoy the experience and for me to explain or help out in any way, shape or form to make ev- everyone a better uh, filmmaker. So the lab aspect of it is cut and dried. I mean, the film either gets processed correctly or it doesn't. And knock on wood, outside of any communications, film has been processed just great. When it gets to the scanning phase, um, that's where um, we'll actually scan the film to a file uh, and Dave will do color correction. Now, I mean, as I mentioned, I, I truly believe this is a real art in the sense that if something's underexposed, overexposed, there's latitude there. And that could be handled beautifully in the suite that we have set up to handle this kind of stuff. So we just got into the habit of, you know, after doing color correction, Dave would on the job sheet would start making some notes. You know, 
whatever it might be, underexposed, a little soft, you know, or, you know, right on, you know. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you got, if, if, your, if your report, you know, if you could see it, it would have like those little stick-on stars. <laughs> Four stars. <laughs> you, did, you did a really good job. Focus was good. The exposure was good. Um, you know, but, but to answer your question, everyone gets a little report by email. Uh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, one question I did have is uh, you sent me um, uh, basically on, my, on the thumb drive, which I just bought the thumb drive from the FPP because you put the files on a thumb drive. It's just easier just to buy, go ahead and buy it from you guys rather than send you a thumb drive or whatever. But uh, on the thumb drive, there was there all you had all three file formats because uh, I believe I paid for the the highest uh, resolution scanning or whatever. But you included the the lower res ones too. So I guess it's HD, what 4K, and what's what's the other one? Um, I don't know. Okay. And which one, like, cause I know like the HT was a huge file and, um, uh, what do you actually recommend for, uh, for the, the average person as far as resolution, which one would you go for if, uh, for just your most common uses of, uh, getting your movie film scanned? Well, I think I recommend HD resolution. It's the most cost effective and it okay. gives you a that's equivalent to uh, the resolution of a Blu-ray. Okay. You know, it's, it's high definition. However, mm-hmm. that's just my opinion. You know, people have other opinions, which is, I hey, I want a bigger file. I want a file to archive. And I think that's smart, too. I mean, um, the 4K file is the currently the largest that we offer. Okay. Really is just scanned at a higher resolution and so it's taking up much more hard drive space so if you're shooting a bunch of uh movies in the course of a year i mean that could really start chewing up hard drive space and Mm -hmm. you know file management gets a little more difficult yeah so it's the four it's the it's the 4k that's the big file right is that right it is. It's a big file. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, it was, I noticed that 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 particular file was gigantic, and I have an old laptop, and it was struggling to to load the thing. So, but uh, yeah. the the other ones uh, were were quite were fine. I didn't really see at least on my uh, I could I could tell the difference between the lowest res and the the the, the two higher ones, but the two higher uh, resins, which I guess was HD and 4K, is that right? Am I getting this right? Uh, yeah. yeah, I didn't see a huge difference between them, other than gigantic file size, but uh, for the for the you know for the big one but uh but then again i'm looking at this on a laptop screen so that maybe that's that's why but yeah i guess one way of looking at it is to say hey you know i'm going to get a 4k scan and i'm going to archive that because technology will catch up and then you know uh 4k tvs and you know technology will allow me to use this file at a later date that's a good way of looking at things Mm -hmm. um as at, if you're a little more cost conscious, you can go for just the HD file, which is a little, little less expensive. And the fact is, you know, you always have your film that you can go back to should you need it. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, one thing I did want to kind of ask about is, OK, so say we've talked people into uh, shooting movie film which I think they should because it was an absolute blast and something I'm definitely going to continue for future family vacations and and special moments and stuff and and maybe even just a little bit just for the fun of it through the year. But I'm definitely looking forward to uh, shooting some more of it. But what would you recommend um, as far as someone new getting into movie film? 
uh, as far as like a, a camera purchase or is there certain cameras to kind of look at? Like, let's start with a Super 8. Is there certain cameras that are good ones to kind of pick up uh, that, you know, are kind of easily available and generally reliable? Uh, yeah, I, I, yes, absolutely. And same thing. If you, it's, it's sort of like when you go on a thread and a newbie asks about a still camera. Hey, what is that? You know, you'll get 150 responses and mm. all the responses are good. But as you know, you know, people are Canon people, Nikon people. <laughs> right. So everyone's going to throw their, their favorite. Their yeah. Yeah. The fact of the matter is they're, they're, I mean, Nikon makes Super 8 cameras. Canon is a big one for Super 8 cameras. Um, so of the cameras that I've tested in the last few years, my favorite is the Minolta uh, XL401 or XL601. And it's my favorite because it has a good lens. When you're looking through the eyepiece, you can actually see the focus really well. Uh, it has some nice features like uh, time lapse. Uh, it's solidly built. Uh, it only takes uh, AA batteries. Uh, some of the older models, like the one you were shooting with, has AA batteries plus uh, a 625 button cell yeah. that's mm-hmm. exclusive for the um, light meter. Mm-hmm. Um, some cameras have manual override. I that's you know that could be debated. I steer away from it. I learned my lesson hard years ago. Yeah, I remember you telling a story once. I think you were on an actual like movie kind of shoot, right? Like a production, and you decided to go manual, and it was a, kind of a disaster. Is that right? Is that right? If I remember that correctly. And I use that term loosely. You know, hired food and for, uh, you know, and for, um, uh, I guess you could say uh, points on the back end. That's like the, you know, a big thing when you're shooting a feature. You know, everyone works for free and low budget feature, and everyone gets points on the back end. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I shot this feature, it was a horror feature, and I borrowed a friend's Super 8 camera to shoot. It's crazy as it sounds to shoot a feature film on Super 8. (laughs) And I insisted on using the manual, you know, taking it out of auto and using my Gossam Luna Pro light meter. And the thing is, you know, I the cameras, Super 8 cameras, they're not, they're a built-in lens with electronics. There's no, like, lens on the front with a shutter, you know, with, with, with f-stops that you uh, can adjust. Mm-hmm. So um, with a Super 8 camera, when you set it to manual, you're dialing in f-stops, and quite frankly, if the electronics are off a little bit, your exposure is going to be not so good. <laughs> right, right. Super 8, I, I, you know, some may agree, some may disagree. Put it in auto, shoot, enjoy, and that's it. There's nothing else to think about. You know, yeah. when you talk about full manual, I recommend the regular 8 because – these are metal cameras that have a real little screw in D mount lens that has actual uh, apertures. Mm-hmm. It's a little real lens, like a mini little lens. And everything is completely manual and completely accurate. Mm-hmm. And so like on a regular, so we're kind of, let's transition into regular eight a little bit. You've uh, kind of, uh, you've been kind of, 
pushing regulate, uh, trying to maybe alleviate some of the fear about it because it might seem a little confusing. Regular eight, super eight. Talk about regular eight a little bit and kind of give people kind of a, a little primer on, on on what the difference is. So in case people are kind of confused by the, the the fact that there's these two formats that are both called eight, but one's regular and one's super. <laughs> it, it, understand, I completely de-evolved to regular eight. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> right. Life. I was shooting either 16 millimeter or Super 8. I mean, my dad shot regular 8. And after 1973, he shot Super 8. So to me, regular 8 was completely foreign. I knew very little about it. I had a few cameras sitting on the shelf at FPP, little wind-up cameras. And I didn't really know what was available for regarding film stocks. And until Owen McCafferty uh, started you know, writing on a regular basis to the FPP. And he um, showed up at a few of our walking workshops. He really kind of brought it to my attention of like, hey, you know, this is a format that, you know, you should look into. And when I discovered that there was only one film stock made by FOMA, mm-hmm. a black white, which the FPP does carry, I found one of those little cameras on the shelf and I, I got a roll and I tested a roll. And I was completely fascinated because from a learning perspective, if you, if you want to shoot a movie, if you want to get involved with filmmaking, these are the cameras to use. Because in the same way I recommend to a student, hey, use a Pentax K1000 or Canon FT, it's the same thing. Minus a, minus a, a built-in meter. So... You have a shutter speed of the regular eight camera, and you have a lens that has f-stops. Mm-hmm. So as long as you know your shutter speed and you know your film speed, and have a light meter, whether it's in your phone or handheld, now the complete power of filmmaking is in your hands of doing everything manual, and that's a great way to learn. So that's, yeah, that's awesome. That's why I'm very interested in this format. So, of course, when they find out that the film isn't available, I do what I always do. I'm like, okay, let's make it available. (laughs) (laughs) And and thus, and thus uh, cause yourself a lot more work and headaches, right? (laughs) It's like, um, this has been like a, this has been like a, uh, about a year journey so far. Wow. And we released our first batch of what we're calling Cine 8 uh, a few months ago. Um, Each batch is about, uh, each batch is about a hundred rolls. And it sold out immediately Wow! because even, even though regular eight is new to me, it's a niche format. And there are a lot of people who have, who are into it and have been into it for years and years. So if all of a sudden a company comes along and just says, Oh, Hey, here's a color film. It got snatched up immediately. Mm, mm, Wow. And the price was right. It's like, Mike, I can't tell you I'm so sick of high prices. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime I see price go up, I, I'm always I mean, even in the, the local pizzeria, I went in and got a regular cheese pie the other day. It was like fifteen dollars. Fifteen dollars. So yeah, price is a real thing to me. I, I if it's gonna be accessible to people listening to your podcast or anyone out there who's like, oh, hey, I'd like to try movie film. 
if it's like, you know, as you know, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100, like who has, no one has that kind of uh, disposable income to do on a, to shoot on a regular basis. Right, right. So the key with regular eight is that it's, it's a clean slate. There's nothing available. So I'm able to kind of work with it from scratch, find the film, find a company that a machinist that can perf the film. I already have all the, you know, everything I need at FPP. I have a dark room. I have the rewinds, uh, sourcing the reels. So it's, it's, you know, it sums up what we are, which is a real project. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so, so, and I'm guessing I actually haven't compared your prices uh, between regular eight and super eight, but regulate uh, is cheaper, right? I mean, you're offering it for cheaper than the super eight. Is that correct? Yeah. Uh, super eight is teetering around. I don't know what the exact price is. I'm, I'm going to say it's teetering around 50 bucks. Mm-hmm. Saves uh, super eight. Super 8 film. Uh, no, uh, Super 8 film is uh, teetering around 30 bucks a roll. That's just the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, and regular 8 is about 10 bucks cheaper than that. Okay. So, yeah. And you're still getting, with regular 8, you still get, it's, uh, it's about three minutes. Is that correct still for, for a regular 8 um, roll right. of film? You know, it, it's its own thing. And I don't ever think it should be regular 8 versus Super 8. I mean, mm-hmm. Uh, it's 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 a whole different mindset. Like when I'm shooting regular eight, I mean, you shoot twenty five. It's a little. It comes on a roll. I think the fascinating thing about it is that it's when you shoot it, it's sixteen millimeters in width. Okay. So it's twenty five feet of sixteen millimeter film. That's perfed specifically for regular eight. So you can't use like a piece of regular sixteen millimeter film. Okay. Let me know if you're not following this. So you have 25. Yeah, yeah. makes sense. Yeah. It's perf specifically for regular eight. You put it in your camera. You, <laughs> you crank, hand crank your camera. You wind it up. There's no batteries. That's what I, that's what I love about them. The, the, just the fact that they're wind up cameras. It's, it's, it's just very cool. <laughs> you, you load it. You have to thread it. You thread it. And then you close up the camera. You shoot the first 25 feet. There's like a little indicator on the side of the camera, and sometimes you can hear it kind of roll out. And then you have to like, okay, you have to open the camera up and then take the roll you shot and flip it. So you take it off the take-up side, and then you flip it to the uh, feed side, and then take that empty spool and then put it to the take-up, and then you sh- you run it again a second time. And this is genius by Kodak. So... The first time you shot it, because it's 16 millimeter in width, you're shooting one half of the film. Mm-hmm. Second pass, you're shooting the second half of the film, side by side. Okay, okay. So, so when, when you're done, you send it to the you know whoever, FPP, your lab, whatever. It's processed and then slit down the middle, and then those 25... That 25 foot 16 becomes two large eight millimeter pieces that are spliced together to form 50 feet of regular eight film. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, what? Yeah. It, yeah. I, it's, it's, I mean, the concept is in today's day and age, I mean, 
when you're talking about shooting movie film, you pop in the Super 8 cartridge, you shoot it, it's 50 feet, the end. <laughs> right, right, right. So, I mean, this is a different kind of feel to it. And I don't expect everyone to be excited ab- about it. Because, quite frankly, at the end of the 25 feet, you do have to find some place that's fairly dark. doesn't have to be a dark room, but shade to flip your roll. Mm-hmm. Your roll of film is on what's called a daylight spool. That's what I was going to ask you about. Because when I when I looked into it, I was like, "How does that not expose the film when you when you do the flipping?" Because it looks like it's just kind of bare film on a on a reel. Like it just, I, I know it's you know, Explain how how is that not going to get ruined? <laughs> Lose a few feet. You you, know, you you get like that burn at the beginning of your film when you see like the sun burn. Yeah. Uh huh. A little bit more intense, unless of course you do it in a bag or do it in the dark. Okay. I still don't do it in the dark because I want to see what I'm doing when I'm threading the film. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I don't think this is going to appeal to everybody. Uh, You know, I mean, end of this week, I'm going to go to New York to attend some of the uh, events at the PDN Photo Expo. There's an Ilford walk and there's a few different things going on. I think I'm going to bring my Super 8 camera because I I, I need – I don't know. I haven't decided yet, but Super 8, you just pop the cartridge in, you shoot the 50 feet, you pop the cartridge out. It's all cartridge. You know, Kodak, king of cartridge. Right, right, right. <laughs> it's like the it's like the APS of movie uh, cameras, right? <laughs> just one, one self-contained cartridge. There you go. <laughs> here, Mike, in a sense that, you know, uh, the scale being this pluses and minus. The pluses of regular 8, Cameras are amazingly solid. The lenses are much better, in my opinion. Uh, even the lens on the plastic Kodak we were talking about. Amazing, mm-hmm. amazing lens. So you're getting a better camera, I think, but you're de- having to deal with the idiosyncrasy of the fact that you have to flip a reel, et cetera, so forth. Right. And we were talking before we started recording. I was asking uh, asking Mike about I ran into a, a Kodak like Brownie uh, a regular eight camera at a local like Peddler's Mall. And I went back this last weekend to try to pick it up and it, it had been sewed, which was very disappointing to me. I don't know why I didn't buy it when I first saw it. I thought I'd come back a week later and get it and it was gone. But um but it was very cool. You know, you, it winds up and it, you know, it's it just a very sturdy feeling camera. And it, you know, it sounded so cool when you, when you hit the trigger and, and ran it. And, uh, but I was asking, uh, Mike about the, the Kodak, uh, regular eight, which is probably, probably the most plentiful ones out there. I'm guessing would be probably what most people are going to find, uh, at thrift stores and antique stores are probably the, the Kodak models. I'm guessing they probably sold a, a bazillion of them, but which, uh, which Kodak should we be looking for, Mike? Cause you kind of had a good, some good su- suggestions before we started recording on that. Cause I think it might be some of the more common ones out there. I'm guessing. Yeah. Yeah. I have a little, a short list. And of course there are a lot of cameras out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, these cameras started being pumped into the market starting in like 1938. Wow. No joke. Also, keep in mind, you know, if you go on eBay, you're sourcing a camera, Super 8, you're going to spend 50 to 100 plus dollars. Regular 8, $10. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> And, and I'm guessing the regular eight's probably a little more uh, likely to work because uh, were they all like wind up kind of mechanical cameras or d- towards the end do they get more electronic uh, like the Super 8s did or uh, uh, are, they, are they mostly all wind up? 
No, uh, most of them are wind up, but there certainly are a few that are battery driven and motor driven. Mm-hmm. I haven't encountered one that works yet, motor driven. Everything mm-hmm. that I've encountered is uh, wind up. Don't get me wrong. I've encountered a few uh, wind up jams, but, um, you know, jam ups on the camera, but the cameras are so cheap that I don't sweat it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but a uh, short list is you got your original Kodak Brownie. This is the brownie that has on the top a little flip-up, tri- you know, metal triangle that you look through. Mm-hmm. Not actually an eyepiece. Yeah, that's the one I found that got sewed from me. So yeah, <laughs> but yeah. Then there's the successor to that, which was called the Kodak Eight or the Kodak Brownie Fun Saver. Uh, that's just the next generation of that same camera. It has a little. It's I think more Bakelite and has an actual eyepiece. And then, uh, of course, there's the uh, the Sam Sherman special, <laughs> which uh, he <laughs> records, and that's the Bell and Howell 134 regular eight camera. Okay. And then there, you'll find a lot of these on eBay. The Revere 8 Model 80 is recommended, and uh, my current favorite is uh, the Yashica 8. Mm-hmm. There are a lot more, but oh, I mean, yeah, that's yeah. right now. And the fascinating thing for me is because it becomes like a little, you know, a little gas factory. <laughs> right, right, right. Because like, oh, my God, this comes with, you know, 13 millimeter lens. So your 13 millimeter lens is equivalent to your 50 millimeter lens. Okay, that's good to know. So you're like, oh, wow, I could, you know. I can get a, a telephoto. I can get a thirty-eight millimeter lens. Or oh, I can get an I can get a an eight millimeter lens wide angle. Like there's all these accessories that were sold, and you just screw the little lens off and screw another little lens on. It's just fascinating. Right? Do, do all of them take interchangeable lenses, or is it just certain ones? Uh, certain cameras. Okay. Okay. I'm guessing like the Kodaks are probably more fixed lenses. I'm guessing. Yeah, the Kodak is a fixed. They mm-hmm. probably. Sold an adapter to put over the lens for wide angle. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. The great thing about the the um, the Revere Eight Model Eighty is the fact that when you look through the eyepiece, on top of the camera is a little slide, and it allows you to see. You know, if you switch a lens, you just slide the eye viewer to whatever lens you put on, so it changes your your view because None of these are reflex cameras. Right, right. So you're not looking through the actual lens like a single lens reflex. You're looking through an eyepiece. And if you want to change lenses, you have your eyepiece has to change to show you the different distance of your lens. Yeah, no, it makes sense. Okay. Well, very awesome. And so, like, I remember when I got the e- you sent me an email uh, when my reels were getting sent back to me saying that it took a, a week longer than, than you were expecting because, uh, the, um, I guess, uh, everything was, uh, pretty backed up. It, it sounds like a good sign. Like you guys really busy with this. It seems like you, I mean, like you're kind of getting inundated a little bit with, uh, with some movie film. Is that, am I, is that, is it the right, uh, I don't know, the right theory there? <laughs> Let's just say when I started this, and when I say this, I mean not only offering movie film for sale, but offering the services of of uh, shepherding the film to the lab, as well as the scan and color correction, which we do in-house. I had no idea what 
if anyone would order this stuff. Mm-hmm. Like I had no concept of, you know, yeah, scratch your head. Like, who the heck shoots movie film? <laughs> <laughs> who are these people? <laughs> uh, but uh, I am, uh, I was pleasantly shocked. And uh, every day I'm amazed because, you know, like, started out one or two a week and then it's it's starting to pick up where like you know many rolls per week to whereas i have a much bigger batch being sent to a lab for processing so um i can't speak to the volume of what the lab what kind of volume they have Mm -hmm. uh, or if they're doing things in batches so if i send your film to the lab portion of the whole process Maybe if that lab isn't doing vision color super eight that day, maybe it waits a few days. Right, right. But Mike, I wouldn't know because labs don't communicate. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, very true. Uh, So, yeah, well, I've noticed that uh, on the negative positives Facebook group, I'm starting to see uh, we've had a while popped my uh, my super eight uh, video up and then I had another member pop a video up uh, that he had shot on his vacation. And uh, I'm starting to see uh, a lot of interest on that group. Uh, people are like, that's it. I'm going to do this. I'm going to try this. I'm going to try this. So you're probably going to get some some negative positives uh, members of the of the group uh maybe uh contacting you and and getting some film from you because it looks like uh, we're starting to see uh some interest on our facebook group about it so it might be uh a little bit encouraging for you to to see that it feels like uh there's starting to be a little rumblings that uh people are really wanting to give this thing a shot so uh it should be interesting to see uh, uh, some more of those super eight and regular eight uh kind of uh videos or movies pop up on the facebook group it's always really cool to see so yeah my goal is to make it, you know, er, really, every week I, I'm, I'm always thinking of, okay, how can I improve upon this service? How can I make this more accessible? And how can I make this cheaper? Mm-hmm. Because a lot more film shooters would try their hand at movie making if it was just a little more accessible in the pocketbook. Sure, sure. Yeah, because it is a little like you know it's it's pricey enough to where I mean I I'll, I'll fully admit you know I'm 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 really happy with the way mine came out, but I was nervous shooting it down there because I was uh, down at Florida because I was like, man, I hope this I hope this comes out, and you know this is this is not a cheap experiment if it goes wrong, you know, <laughs> so uh, so there's a little bit of nerve wrackingness uh, uh, to it, but you know yeah, it, uh, but it you know it came out, you know I think a lot of times we don't trust film sometimes and uh, film. Film kind of wants to put an it kind of wants an image on it and it kind of wants to be developed. It kind of kind of just works most of the time unless you really screw up. So maybe it's maybe it's uh, not not necessary to be so so nervous about it, right? I, the I film kinda, sweats. <laughs> oh yeah, and I, I always say don't sweat it, and I kind of look at it from the same perspective that I look at back in the day when I was Polaroid crazy, which was, you know, a lot of folks still are picking up these vintage Polaroid cameras and, and buying the Polaroid originals films. And, you know, you have to be ready for the shock of the camera not working or you mm-hmm. put, you know, you put your $20 pack of film in your Polaroid camera, you close the door and it spits out every single <laughs> film. <laughs> right. I've experienced it all. I've, I've seen the, the, the great pain of, I mean, back in the day, Impossible Project Film was, was you know, $25, $26 a pack of eight shots. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. So, you know, all of that kind of, I feel the same way regarding movie film, which is if you're going to be in it, you have to be in it. I think you were fortunate because even though your camera was really squeaky, I had tested it. <laughs> Yeah, right, right. Which I, it did give me a little bit of comfort knowing that you had had some 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 good results out of it. So at least I knew that it, the camera had been tested uh, recently. So, uh, uh, but it did have a funny sound to it. But it didn't matter. It, it it worked properly. So that's all it counts. Yeah. So I, I am going to put out, uh, you know, either on the FPP YouTube channel or in a blog, just some you know tips for you know how to get involved with shooting movie film. And, you know, what to expect. And, and if you, I always say, you know, have a backup plan because especially if it's an important event and many people like yourself are either shooting a vacation or going to a family's wedding, you know, to shoot like a cool Super 8 movie. And, you know, when it comes out, it's priceless. You, you, you just can't beat it. You'll never get that look anyplace else. And it's just so fulfilling. But if something goes wrong, it could be equally painful. You know, it could be just... <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, I admit it's something about the look to it, man. It just has this timeless kind of classic look to it. And I just I love it. I just love the whole aesthetic to it and everything. But but I, I would probably recommend and I think you would, too, that, you know, uh, before you take it on that once in a lifetime trip, uh, maybe, uh, you know, shoot shoot some some more mundane footage and make sure the camera works before you commit to uh, uh, a, a, an important life event. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Mike, it's been uh, an absolute pleasure talking to you tonight and uh, just getting uh, kind of uh, really kind of getting a little more information about, about movie film and, and where you're at with it. But and especially um, 10 years of the FPP, like, wow, that's uh, that's impressive. And uh, we, we uh, I know I speak for almost everybody in the film community that uh, we uh, just appreciate what you do and everything you've done for film and continue to do for film. And I'm sure we'll continue to do in the future. And, uh, it's just been, uh, like I, I've said it many times on this podcast that, uh, when I uh, kind of left digital and went back to film, uh, one of the first things I did was find the FPP. And it was actually the first time I'd ever listened to a podcast. I was like, what's this podcast uh, craze going on? Uh, so I'm going to, I guess I'm going to figure out how to use my podcast app because there's this thing called film photography project. I need to check out. And once I did, you guys, really got me um just enthralled to, to dive uh you know headfirst back into film again after i'd been away for probably six seven years and and uh and then obviously um uh, i didn't even know what podcasts were until i started listening to to yours and then and this podcast wouldn't exist if it wasn't for you guys so i've got nothing but uh, a huge amount of respect and a huge thanks for everything you do and it's been a, a really influential to uh my life and as uh just been a real blessing that uh what you guys have done so uh just yeah huge thanks to you guys and, and big congratulations on 10 years thank you mike it's it's really my pleasure and uh um it's very very fulfilling you know being so close with all the folks we sell film to so you know we're, we're gonna keep keep at it as uh as i always say <laughs> nice all right mike what well, where would you uh tell people to check out i mean i'm sure they all know this stuff if they listen to this podcast they know this but just in case uh all your social media stuff where you'd like for people to go uh, the store and all that stuff just where can people find you and all your various avenues uh filmphotographyproject.com that's the main site and there you can get our blogs and uh, a link right to our store and then on youtube 
uh, film photography tube is the channel. And all the stuff that we've been talking about with Super 8 and Regular 8, you could see all of my film tests. Um, quite a few of them have voiceover talking about, you know, the experience. So uh, it's a great place to start and kind of just peruse, uh, especially like a video of how to load a Regular 8 camera, which, you know, I think will blow people's minds. Yeah, yeah, and there, there was I've seen some uh, some of your Super Eight or or, or regularly I'm not sure which one it was. Some of your footage where uh, you you kind of have the gift, much like in your podcast, of putting some some kind of funny sound effects <laughs> in some of your uh, your movie footage, which I uh, I think is uh, is quite uh, always quite entertaining. <laughs> is that something that you do a lot with your your movie footage? Kind of insert sound and uh, sound effects and stuff like that. Absolutely. Um, I, and I recommend folks, you know, hey, you know, I mean, everyone has their own style. But once right. you transfer your movie film, you could import it into, I mean, every computer has either iMovie or, you know, <clears throat> I think Windows also has an editor. Or for, you know, very inexpensive, you can get Adobe Premiere or mm-hmm. Final Cut. And these allow you to import your movie, and then you could add a soundtrack, you could add a voiceover, you could add sound effects if that's your thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I actually want to write uh, some music uh, for ours, and uh, my son is kind of an electronic musician, so I'm going to have him kind of make like a drum uh, loop for it or some sort of drum rhythm section for me, and I'm going to play some guitar over top of it and kind of make it a family soundtrack to this family movie uh, film that we have. So kind of make it a, a family project. So I'm definitely looking forward to kind of kind of getting him off the off the video games and, and help me write some music for it to, as a little soundtrack, a little score to this movie film. So it should be very fun. And a quick tip, um, the BBC Sound Library has made their library public so if you Google search uh, BBC Sound Library, you'll come up to the site. And as long as you're not using their sound effects and sound beds for commercial reason, you can, I mean, you name it, they have it. You know, if you need like uh, city street sound or, you know, sounds at a fair or, you know, things to, I guess, give a little bit of a, a bed, an audio bed to your movie files to kind of, uh, it's amazing what audio can do. Oh yeah, video. yeah. So uh, highly recommended, and it's free. Oh, that's awesome. That's a good tip. Wow, interesting. Very, very cool. Well, Mike, uh, again, thanks for joining me tonight, <clears throat> and uh, best wishes to the FPP. And uh, yeah, always a pleasure talking to you, man. Uh, great, my my pleasure. <clears throat> All right, Mike. Well, we will talk soon, and uh, I guess uh, yeah, take care. Terrific. Thanks a lot, Mike. Thank you. I just wanted to thank uh, Mr. Michael Rosso so much for taking time out of his busy schedule to uh, come on this podcast and do a little a little interview, a little segment with me. Uh, I mean, I guess if you guys have listened to this podcast, uh, you know that I, I hold the FPP in very high regards uh, because honestly, my whole return to film, my obsession with film and uh, it was jump-started by them and also the fact that this podcast wouldn't exist honestly had I not ever tuned into the FPP and uh, so it just uh, it's it just there was a day when I started this podcast that I never would have guessed that I would have like Mike Rosso on my show and it still kind of blows me away and now I've had him on twice and it's just uh, it's a uh, it's very rewarding 
it kind of just it just really blows me away. I would have never guessed when I started this podcast that I would have uh, the guy that really kind of started something that got me super into film and just definitely got me into podcasting. I mean, it was the first podcast I ever listened to was the FPP. So uh, just a super, I, mean, I, I can't tell you guys how thrilled I was to uh, have him on and uh, not once, but twice. And it's always just super cool. And Mike has has been always super supportive and uh, I just give uh, give him and the FEP all the credit in the world for uh, just just all that they do and uh, congratulations on 10 years to them and hey let's let's, let's, let's shoot for 10 more right so okay let's uh, let's take a break and I think I'm gonna still gonna do a call and camera review I know it's gonna be a really long uh, Friday morning episode uh, but we just we always do a calling camera review on these things, so I'll, I'll find one to put up here. So let's take a break, and I'll do that in the next segment. So uh, I'll be right back, folks. folks we're back from the break and i'm going to do one little call and camera review before we wrap the show up and this is none other none other from mr alex lokes from the classic camera revival podcast he's gonna be talking about the nikon fa so let's listen to what alex has to say about the nikon fa hey there folks alex lokes here from classic camera revival and here is another call and review for you folks on the negative positive podcast um, this review, I wanted to do a quick one on the Nikon FA. Now, I first heard about the Nikon FA um, from the uh, Film Photography Podcast. Um, Leslie talked up this wonderful, if not short-lived, Nikon camera from the 1980s that introduced something new to the Nikon cameras, and that is matrix metering. Now, the matrix metering um, at the time was called multi-segment metering, and it came out of a project that would bring about also the Nikon FM2 and the Nikon FE2. So think about the FA as something, well, actually the metering system that became part of the Nikon FA was originally designed for the FE2, but it just wasn't ready in time for that camera's release. So they built the short-lived Nikon FA. Now, at first glance, this looks like any other Nikon of the era, except that the prism finder is a little more squat. It actually looks very Minolta in its design. But um, other than that, the uh, shutter is the exact same one you'd find in the FE2. It goes from one second to one four thousandths of a second and bulb mode. Um, you have the standard um, manual mode, shutter priority, aperture priority, but you also have a program mode. Now, the unique thing about this program mode is it's designed to work seamlessly with the AI and AIS lenses of the day. So you can use all your standard Nikon lenses with it. But what really makes this camera great is the MD15 motor drive that just adds a beautiful weight to it. And also it means that you can power your camera with just eight AA batteries. So it does add a bit of weight, but the big chunky grip makes it very easy to use, very easy to handle in the field. 
Um, usually when I'm out with this, I have a 28 millimeter, 35 millimeter, 50, and the beautiful 105 millimeter f2.5 lens. Um, this is the camera that came with me on my honeymoon to New York City, where I actually got the MD-15 motor drive. My wife is wonderful and allowed me to go shopping at B&H Photo of the Day. Um, definitely worthwhile. I picked mine up from John Meadows after I decided I didn't need another Nikon SLR. Like, But, you know, the price was right, and I really got to know this camera well. Um, I don't take it out that often anymore, but every so often I get the urge to bring it out. It's a great camera for testing. Uh, the one problem is that the uh, metering system actually relies on a CPU chip with preloaded scenes, and it just sort of decides what scene matches best with its stored set of um, exposure data. The only thing is, once you get the camera out of landscape mode into portrait mode, it kind of gets confused. And again, we are talking old technology, so they are more likely to fail. Um, they're hard to get repaired these days, especially the electronics aspect of it. And because they are a little bit of a rarity, they do carry a bit more on the used market. But other than that, if you're looking for something unique, the cameras that started the whole matrix metering thing, especially for Nikon, then definitely take a look at the Nikon FA. That's it for me. Back to you guys in the Gutterman Cave. Well, thank you, Alex, so much for the call-in camera review for the Nikon FA. Always good to hear from you, brother, and uh, get some uh, some real insight. Uh, the, the classic camera revival guys are probably the the nerdiest uh, <laughs> uh, guys about the, the the specifics of film cameras. So it's always good to get call-in camera reviews from those guys because they, they well, basically they know their shit. So. So uh, uh, thank you so much, Alex, for the, the call-in camera review. If you'd like to send in a call-in camera review, obviously just uh, get your smarty phone, uh, record a, a file, and send it to uh, negpositives at gmail.com, and we will get it on the air. Uh, okay, I think that's going to be it for this show. It's uh, been a long uh, show for a Friday, but, you know, it's a special show, a very special show. So... Um, Anyway, uh, let's go ahead and wrap this up. Uh, you can see my photography on Instagram at Gutterman Photo, on Facebook at Mike Gutterman Photography. You can email this program at negpositives at gmail.com. Uh, you can join the Facebook group. It is the Negative Positives Film Photography Podcast Facebook group. And we also have an Instagram account under the uh, account name Negative Positives, mostly ran by a friend of the show, Mr. Bryce Randall. If you uh, submit photos to Instagram, think about using the hashtag Negative Positives, and maybe Bryce will see it and highlight it on that account. Uh, okay, um, everybody have a great weekend, and hopefully you'll get uh, a lot of good photography time this weekend. Uh, but until then, we will talk to you uh, for the uh, Monday night recording. And uh, But until then, again, everybody have a great weekend. Everybody stay positive and shoot some cool film photos.
Gutter Man Cave Production!